last week we began introducing a brand new uh, mission and values that have been worked on for years, quite frankly. Uh, we did a values activity at, at one of our annual meetings a very long time ago, and, and those conversations that started uh, back then, just at, I guess, 2018 or 2019, are now being brought to the fore of our communal life with the creation of a brand new uh, set of values that describe not just who we think we are, but who we want to become as a church. That's what mission and values is really all about. So we've said, here is our mission that Wentworth Baptist Church exists to invite all people to know Christ, grow in Christ, and go, excuse me, with Christ by living lives marked by faith, hope, and love. And then within faith, hope, and love, we'll be using those as categories for values. Um, our values as a, as a church that aren't, that aren't just checkbox categories, but actual practices that we want to do. Practices that describe this is what it means to be uh, a faithful follower of Jesus. So then we can then look at ourselves and say, okay, how am I living into these practices? How is my faith, my hope, my love doing in relation to how we have described uh, the, the values of faith, hope, and love within our community? And these values recognize that we don't so much have values, we don't so much hold them uh, as much as we become our values. They transform us. They, they become, um, especially within the church, our values are actually values that are connected to our transformation in Christ. So the more we get to know Christ, the more that we grow in Christ, and the more that we are willing to go with Christ, the more these values will mark our life of, of faith. We live our values. And the more we know Christ, we're transformed by him, the more we can live our value practices out. And so we'll be spending the next couple of months, and by the next couple of months, I mean until December, <laughs> talking about these new values. Um, and really, the, the, they're really old values that we're just articulating for the first time um, and saying, here is who we see ourselves as in some places, and here is who we want to become so that we can understand them better. Um, over the next couple of months, we'll, we'll, we're going to do a deep dive into these practices to ask what are they and how do we do them um, so that we can be intentional about beginning to practice them and beginning to, um, to shape our communal life around them. And today, we're going to be starting with our first practice, the practice of prayer. This is one of the practices that when our church uh, a couple of years ago said, what are our values and what are the things that we hold in high esteem? Uh, prayer was the number one thing that everyone around the table said, we really value prayer. We think prayer is important. We think prayer is actually essential to the ministry of the church. And that's biblical. Throughout scripture, we see that prayer is central to the ministry of the church, essential to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, again and again, in the Gospels, goes away to pray. 
He removes himself from situations he's in to be able to commune with the Father. There is a sense with which prayer is both the first thing the church does and also the last thing. It's the bookends of all of the church's activities, and without those bookends, the books in between fall apart. The other things we want to do aren't able to stand without prayer. And so this is really, this is a really important practice. And it's a practice of faith. It's a practice of trust, of trusting Jesus, of trusting God's promises, of trusting that God is good and, and righteous and, and, and is present with us. Prayer is a practice of faith because it's the way that we communicate and commune with the living God. Scripture actually says in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That is, faith is the foundation of our hope, but this foundation has two convictions. Hebrews goes on to describe, and those convictions are that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. And in this way, faith in, is, is trust in God as God truly is. And as a practice of our faith, prayer is an outworking of those convictions. Prayer recognizes God's existence and is also seeking God to move in our lives, to act, to lead us, to instruct us, to show us the way forward, or to move powerfully in our midst. If God exists, as scripture describes God, then we know that God is a God of relationship who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and now invites us to know him and know him more deeply every single day. And so if this God exists, we know then from scripture that if we seek him, we will be rewarded. And, and specifically, we'll be rewarded with the gift of grace and righteousness, that is, we're gifted with right relationship with God, with ourselves, with, and, and with others. Sort of put, um, put simply, we're, we're rewarded with eternal life. We're rewarded with, a, with, with uh, the life of heaven that begins to shape us now into the kinds of people that will be come in heaven one day as we gather around God's throne of grace in worship in the, in the new heavens and the new earth. The reward of our seeking God really is God's presence. God's presence with us. And with God's presence comes God's power. And so throughout scripture, we see prayer and God's power connected on a really consistent basis. This act of faith, this practice of faith in prayer is, is really connecting us with God, but it's consistently inviting God's presence into our lives so that with his presence can come his power to transform the situations that we are in. This value practice is, is one that the church, the early church that we see in the book of Acts really grabbed hold of very early on in, in, in the church's history. 
that as the church began to form, prayer was often the first thing that they did. They often went and worshipped God by by gathering together to pray to him and, and, and being alone. And we see that as the early church prayed in community and as individuals, God acted in powerful ways. God's presence brought God's power in the lives of the early believers. We see this in the, in the early chapters of Acts. In those first couple of chapters, if you keep your eye out for just that phrase, the phrase prayer and, and watch for people praying together, you'll see that, <coughs> excuse me, one of the, that, that, that there are marks of prayer within the early church. Number one is that they prayed continuously. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. All the disciples gathered together after Jesus, um, Jesus' ascension and prayed together and sought the Lord's face together and worshipped God together. Uh, the community was also devoted to praying together. That prayer isn't just an individual thing, it is a communal thing. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, the, the entire church, after thousands converted to Christianity, the first thing they did was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. It's one of the cores of the early church. But we also see that in the early church, individual prayer, individual devotion was extremely important. We see individuals uh, praying alone fairly consistently. We also see the church actually... Um, structure itself in a way to allow people, individuals, to pray both in community and as individuals. We see this with the apostles who created the office of deacon or servants to care for the church so that they would be free to focus on uh, praying for the church as well as uh, devoted to the ministry of word that is the teaching, the proclamation of scripture. These communal and individual elements get mixed together because I don't think you can be communally devoted to prayer if there's no one in that community who's individually devoted to prayer. Put it another way, if you're not praying, uh, if you're not praying at home, you're not going to be praying in God's house with other believers. It's just not going to happen because you're not practicing your faith in this way. But praying with other believers can help you get better at praying so that you'll, you're more comfortable praying alone. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a bit of a paradox happening with this practice in particular that I think sometimes we can feel stuck in. That we can feel like, oh, I don't know how to pray, so I'm not going to pray in a group and I, uh, and I feel awkward praying at home. And so I just won't pray. But actually it's... Tr uh, putting your faith into practice and just trying to pray at home can get your, can get a little bit of, can help you get your footing a little bit, but then praying with other people can actually help you become a better prayer, which will help you become a better individual prayer. The, the two go hand in hand, which is really interesting. So we see in the book of Acts, Christians gathering together in, for prayer in the temple, in Acts chapter three, for example, as well as privately on rooftops, which we see Peter do in Acts chapter 10. And these prayers, we're told, are often continual. 
that 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 the early church's devotion to God actually shaped how they lived. It made them pray at every moment of every day. That whenever something came up, their first response was prayer, was a word of prayer. But that changed how they lived. That changed how the early church lived. It made it, it changed how the early church used their finances. It changed how the early church related to one another. It changed how the early church passed their time. And at the center of those, these changes was really the worship of God through prayer. And so we see throughout Acts, God's people uh, praying and then God moving powerfully in their midst. And it changes, uh, it changes their entire lives. So we see, uh, we see in, in, in Acts chapter 8, the uh, prayer for the, for the Holy Spirit that totally transforms lives. God's power fills people and, and transforms them from the inside out. We see the church praying for Peter as he is in prison, and God responds by breaking Peter out of prison and bringing him to, back to the church. And, and then they spend the rest of the night worshiping and praying. We see the church praying and fasting for Paul in Acts 13 and sending him off for church planning. We see the, the, the church praying, for, well, we actually see Paul and Silas praying in jail and God responding to their prayer and their worship by breaking them out of prison. And actually that leads to the conversion of the jailer in Acts chapter 16, the jailer and his family. We see Paul praying in the temple and then being sent out on mission to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, and we see prayers for healing that God answers uh, fairly consistently, but a good example is Acts chapter 28. Again and again, the church prays and God's resp God responds with, with power. And the, it's really the power of his presence in their midst. And even more so when they pray giving thanks to God, saying, Lord, we love you and we, we see how you are at work in a world. We see how the world wants to destroy your church. And we see that you are leading the way for us. And so we give thanks and we ask that you would continue to move and do powerful things in our midst. We see this in Acts chapter 4 right at the end, which you can read um, this week, where the, the church gives thanks, and then the Holy Spirit comes down and fills them and, and allows them to boldly proclaim the gospel to their neighbors. Prayer, as a, it really is an expression of trust. We pray because we trust God, and, and that trust leads to the Lord rewarding our trust with his presence. Prayer is a response of, of faith to the grace that we receive. And the Lord responds to our response with his presence. And so what can we learn about prayer as a practice from the book of Acts? I think first is just that prayer is a response to what God has done for us, that we respond to the Lord with prayer, with worship. 
Now, if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't know the gospel, prayer probably seems like a chore the majority of the time. It probably seems like something that we can maybe do if we feel like it, but for the most part, we can sort of put to the side and we will only pray when we feel like it. We'll only pray often when we want something from God and we treat God like a sort of divine vending machine. That's how we treat prayer. We'll say, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going to pray to get what I want from God. Cha-ching. And when I get it, I won't, I won't pray again until the next need comes along. But if we know God, and if we've been reconciled through Christ because of his sacrifice for us on the cross, and if we become a new creation in Christ, prayer becomes less of a burden and more of a privilege that we get to experience. Because it becomes all about the cultivation of relationship, which is never really a burden. Sometimes it can still feel like a chore, especially those times when we're praying and we're not getting the response that we want. But then when we pray, we'll often, I think actually always be reminded of the sweetness of God's grace as we pray, which will encourage us to continue to pray even more. It's the interesting thing. Prayer is a response to what God has done for us. But oftentimes when we pray, when we respond, the Lord responds to us, which should encourage us to to respond back, um, creating creating a cycle of growth for us. Now, that being said, sometimes the Lord's response to our prayers is a hard no, or is I'll wait, or is, I don't have that for you, I have something else. And if we are so focused just on ourselves and what we want, we might actually miss what God has for us in those, in those responses. And we'll be, instead of responding to the Lord with uh, gratitude for, for his leading, uh, it'll make us bitter. And the early church had times when that could have been possible for them. They had times when the apostles, and particularly James in the book of Acts, um, James is, is, is killed at one point while the church prays for his and Peter's safety. And, um, and they could have said, well, the Lord didn't answer our prayer, so we're going to turn our back to him. You know, we, we thought that, we, that our prayers mattered, that they would make a difference, and obviously they didn't. But instead the church responded by continuing to pray and continuing to trust and used hardship as an opportunity to trust even more. But those times when the Lord said no, the church didn't say, well, you said no, so I'm going to ignore you, God. The church actually said, you said no, which means you have something for us and we want that thing. And it deepened their, their, their longing to pray and see God's will be done in their midst. That's how I think we should respond. Um, every time, really, the Lord responds to us, whether it's an affirmative or a negative, uh, the, the, uh, God, God knows what's best for us, quite frankly. 
And so when we respond in prayer, we can expect a response back that will also be an invitation to respond further. And we see this in Acts, and, and we see this in our church's life as well. Um, your board, just to let you know, your board prays for you on a regular basis. And actually, right now, we're praying for the church on a bi-weekly basis every two weeks. Um, the next time we'll be praying will be in two weeks' time, because we just had the, our, our board prayer this past week. And at that next prayer, you're going to be invited to join us over Zoom. So you can keep your eyes out for a link and an invitation for that, uh, for that, uh, that invitation to actually for us to gather in response in prayer to God for what God has done in leading us towards the building sale and, and all that that entails. So first, prayer is a response for what God has done for us. Acts teaches this, I think, quite um quite succinctly. Second, Acts teaches us that we should be continually praying. In big groups, alone, again and again, we see that whatever we face, whether it's huge decisions in life or whether it's just everyday circumstances that we consider mundane, speaking with God is actually an invitation for God to be present with us. And so when we pray continuously, we're actually inviting God's presence to, 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 well, to be manifest with us, to, for, for God to be with us, and then for his power to be with us as well. And that power can transform even the most mundane situations into times and places where heaven breaks into earth, even for just a little bit. And so we should continually pray and seek heaven to coming to the earth, breaking forth in our midst through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And you know, I think this should, this should include giving thanks. Our continuous prayer should include constantly giving thanks to the Lord, which brings up a question for us, I think. How often do we do that? How often do we just stop and give Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Yesterday was a beautiful day. How many of us stopped at any point in that day and said, Wow, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this sunshine. Thank you, Lord, for, for the, the gift that you have given us. In an individualistic culture, where everything's about me, 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 I, 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 we actually have to push back and build in reminders for ourselves to be able to thank God because we're, we're often, we can be so focused on ourselves that we don't realize what's happening around us. Even, uh, especially with God, especially with Jesus, in a, um, in a, in a cultural context, in a secular context, that is a, a context where uh, faith in God is, is maligned and the world has become disenchanted, that there's no sense of divine within our culture now, uh, where post-Christian is, is the popular phrase that's, that's used more and more. Um, in that kind of culture, to be able to notice God actually takes some discipline 
because you're not taught it in the ways that past generations have been taught how to notice God at work. But if you are unfamiliar with how to do it, uh, you're not going to be able to give thanks. You're not going to have those built-in reminders within your own mind. So we have to do everything we can to take every opportunity to give thanks when it comes to mind and to even build in reminders in our day. When we're eating good food, say, thank you, Lord, for this food. But, well, this is, this is where rituals like grace before meals comes into play in our, uh, in our family lives and in our personal lives. Or even if you just go outside, the first thing you do if you go outside on a beautiful day is, Lord, thank you for this day. Those little tiny uh, practices uh, actually build our faith over time and help us to be constantly in prayer. If we never pray prayers of thanksgiving, I sincerely doubt that the Lord will ever answer our prayers in power. Because I don't think that the Lord will waste his power on our selfishness. So this is really important. We need to be people of prayer, but we also need to be people of thanksgiving, of thanking the Lord in prayer for all he has done for us and given us. Third, times of prayer, Acts teaches, need to be consistent and deliberate. Repeatedly throughout the entire book, if you search through the times that people pray, they are often praying at 3 p.m. very specifically, or the ninth hour, uh, or at some time late at night. Uh, 3 p.m. now is called the hour of mercy. There's no indication of why the apostles in particular, but the early church just generally prayed at 3 p.m. There's a number of different theories, but there's no concrete evidence for any one of them being absolutely correct. However, within the church tradition now, 3 p.m. is considered the hour of mercy because it's thought of being the time of day when Jesus died on the cross. And so it's, it's plausible that that's why 3 p.m. Is a, is a time of prayer in the early church as well. But no matter the reason, 3 p.m. consistently, both communally and individually, was often the time when the early church went to pray. When they prayed in the temple, when they prayed alone, it was at 3 p.m., the hour of mercy. It was very deliberate and it was consistent every single day. And often, the church would keep each other accountable. So you don't just see people going to temple alone. You see people going to, together with another person to temple to pray. Or if you see in, in, in Acts someone praying alone, oftentimes there's another person praying alone somewhere that God can, and God connects the two through their prayers. We see this with Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. God keeps people accountable in, in praying, not just in, in community, but also as individuals. There's a consistency and a deliberateness to prayer that, that we could really learn from. And I think these all together give us a challenge. Do we really know the gospel such that prayer that is spending time with God and receiving his presence and his power 
do we know the gospel um, well enough for prayer to be something that we want to do? Do we want to spend time with Jesus? Do we want to spend time getting to know God and growing in Christ? And even more than that, are we willing to reorganize our lives around knowing Jesus, around growing in Christ? These are the invitations that Acts gives us and that scripture gives us fairly consistently. Now, we don't want to be people who strive by our own effort to pray more and more. That's an invitation to burnout. And we'll never really experience God's power if all we're doing is just striving by our own accord. But we do want to be people who the Lord makes into people of prayer. And that means taking baby steps in our practice of prayer. Uh, for some of us, those baby steps might just be picking times to pray in, in, in our day-to-day -day life. For others, those baby steps are actually to finding other people to pray with us. And for others, it's, it's deciding to, um, to or maybe organize prayer meetings with, with entire groups of people. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole range of practice that could happen with prayer in our communal life, and we can't really tackle them all. But we do want to position ourselves to make baby steps um, that, that will help us in times when we have to make a decision between prayer or another thing, that we choose prayer more often than not. And it begins with baby steps to build new habits in our lives. Which brings us to this week's Faith in Practice Challenge. We said last week uh, that, that every week during this, this very long series through our values, we would be having challenges as part of each sermon that would challenge us to live out our faith and to live out our hope, to live out our love, and to really begin to practice our values. And, uh, and, and so this week's challenge is pretty simple. It's to commit to praying for someone's salvation every day this week. In the upcoming week, pick one person and pray for them to come to know God and to be reconciled to God through Christ and that, that they would come to saving faith. Now, this is an intentional challenge because it forces you to pray for something other than yourself that you have zero control over. And this is important. It forces us to think about something other than ourselves. But even more than that, you're going to be praying for something that you have absolutely no control over. There is nothing that you can do to... to to save anyone. Only Jesus saves. And so it puts you in a posture, praying for the salvation of another person, puts you in the posture of dependence as you build a habit of prayer. Which is great because prayer is not about us. It never has been, it never will be. It's all about God. About our communing with God and God transforming us. It's all about God we're, which is why it's our it's prayer is a response to what the Lord has done, that the Lord responds back and it 
It deepens our relationship with him. But this posture and this building of a habit, if we seek the Lord with dependence, it will build our our capacity for trust in the Lord. So that when times begin to be difficult, when we reach hard seasons in life, our practice of prayer, if we are consistently dependent on the Lord, that dependence doesn't change in good times or bad. If, if we're committed to prayer during the good times first. But if we're only ever committed to prayer during, the, during those difficult times, uh, we'll never be able to build a consistent practice of prayer within our lives. And so, you know, right now, it's sort of a, a, a mixture of a time and a mixture of a season of good and bad. But there are, thing, there are good things that we can be praying for in small amounts that will build our capacity for this practice and build our dependence on God so that we can build on, on just a, on this small practice to push us towards, uh, towards being better prayers in the long run. So this is a small challenge, quite, quite honestly, maybe only five minutes of time a day, but it's five minutes that we can build into 10 minutes, 20 minutes, even an hour further down the line. Um, I'm going to say, this is a, a challenge that our core group um, back in 2019-2020 took on, where we each picked a person to pray for on a regular basis, to pray for their salvation. And we've, we actually saw people be saved through this challenge. Um, and we also saw in our own lives increased opportunities to talk about our faith with other people and particularly the people that we were praying for. We saw increased, um, increased reminders of God's provision in our life, which just made us more thankful. And generally, I think those in the, in the group were consistently encouraged in our faith because of this challenge and, and because we were praying together um, for each other and for our ones, our, these people who we chose to pray for. And so how do we do the challenge? If, you, if you're committing to put your faith into practice this week, how can you do this challenge? Well, number one, pick a time to do your praying. Pick a time of day. I'm going to suggest three o'clock, but it could be 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 10 p.m., um, 2 a.m. if you're crazy like me, just pick a time to pray and stick to it. Put it in your calendar, set an alarm on your phone that says pray now so that when it goes off, you can just stop and pray for your one. Uh, so pick a time and stick to it. Find someone to either pray with or who will keep you accountable to praying, which just means someone who you could give a call and say, hey, have you been praying for your one? And they can ask you, have you been praying for yours? And you can encourage one another to pray um, throughout the week. But on a, on a more practical, how do you sort of structure your time to pray? Well, number one, get rid of technology when you go to pray. Our technology is a distraction. They're distraction machines. And so if you have your cell phone on, you might, you might find yourself, if you even stop to pray for five minutes, you'll find yourself wanting to check your phone, wanting to check 
Facebook or Twitter or, uh, or, or even text somebody, uh, you know, the technology will constantly cause you to be distracted. And so the best way to, to not be distracted is to get rid of the distraction. Turn off your phone, put it in a, another room while you pray, and then pick it up afterwards. So pick a time, find someone to keep you accountable, get rid of your technology when you pray, and then just do it. Just spend the time and do it. Practice actually does make perfect. And it could be as simple as a, as a sentence, Lord, I pray for this person that you would bring them into saving faith. And do that every single day. But I think that oftentimes if you even stop and ask the Lord to speak to you, and ask the Lord to speak through his scriptures to you especially, setting aside five minutes to have the Lord speak to you about somebody and to pray for their salvation uh, will actually really give you, it, it will bless you. I think the Lord will bless you. But the Lord will speak to you. And the Lord will speak to you about the person that you are praying for so that you can pray intelligent, uh, intelligently, intelligibly about their situations that they're facing. The Lord will give you a supernatural gift of knowledge to be able to pray for them. It doesn't have to be complicated. But the best way to learn how to pray is to actually just do some praying. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it's just, you know, talk to God as you would another person. And, um, and, and just, and, and see what happens. Sometimes I think we make a lot of prayer such that we scare ourselves into not doing it, which is why doing it is just the best way to go. It, it, practice actually does make perfect. The more you pray, the better you become at praying. It's just like anything else in life. So don't worry about, am I doing this right? Am I, am I praying correctly? Am I not? Um, instead, just with a pure heart, go to God and say, God, I am here and I am praying for this, for this person, for their salvation. And if you want me praying for anything else in their life, please give me the knowledge to do that and, and see what happens. And what you'll find is that the Lord is going to take your prayers as an invitation for his presence to be at work in your life and in the, in the lives of the people that you are praying for. And with his presence is going to come power that will transform your life and will transform our community's life in the long run as well. So set aside five minutes, even just five minutes, to pray for a specific person and build this small habit that we can then build on into a bigger habit in the long run. Especially in the next couple of weeks as we talk about how to pray for everyday things in our lives. But then, a reminder, as the Lord moves, don't forget to give thanks. Don't forget to give thanks. And so that's our challenge for this week. Commit to praying for someone to salvation that they would come to know Christ this week. Choose the person, set a time daily, set a reminder, and then pray. And in this way, put your faith 
into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the ways that you have been at work in us and amongst us. And I pray that your presence would be with us. And with your presence, Father, I pray that your power would be with us as well. The power of your Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, I pray, would be with us, transforming us and empowering us to be ministers of your gospel in our world. I pray that you would hear our prayers this week for individuals' salvations. And I pray that you'd be faithful to us, that you would be hearing our prayers and that you would be responding to them. And as you respond, Father, open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to, to the ways that you're responding to us so that we can respond back with thankfulness, with thanksgiving and praise, glorifying your name. And Father, if we become uh, centered in our minds more on us than on you, correct us, Father, and help us to see what prayer really is, which is, is a response to the grace that you have given so that you can give even more of it. And so be with us, give us your, fill us with your spirit and, and transform us in the inside out, from the inside out, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.